Is there nothing you would not consider a gain, sir? Duty, work, even marriage? Oh, please, Inspector, don't include marriage. Sex! Sex is the gain. Marriage is the penalty. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. Joining me today, because the detective story is the normal recreation of noble minds, is my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello. On this week's episode, in honor of the release of Ryan Johnson's Glass Onion, Nakia and I are sitting down for a double feature of two twisty murder mysteries. Sleuth from 1972 and The Last of Sheila from 1973. So, Nakia, though I don't think the genre is going to dethrone superheroes for box office dominance anytime soon, the murder mystery is experiencing a a little mini-renaissance at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, In cinemas over the past few years, we've had Kenneth Branagh's new versions of Agatha Christie's Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile. We've had stuff like this year's See How They Run, which is a riff on Christie's play The Mousetrap. And, of course, Ryan Johnson is leading the resurgence. His Knives Out was a smash hit in 2019. The sequel Glass Onion just opened in theaters last week, both starring Daniel Craig as quirky gentleman sleuth Benoit Blanc. Uh, Johnson is also executive producing a new whodunit series for television called Poker Face, starring Natasha Lyonne, that's coming soon. All of which I love. I grew up reading mysteries, you know, from Encyclopedia Brown to Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew to Sherlock Holmes, and eventually reading, I think, everything Agatha Christie ever wrote. I remember very clearly reading Murder on the Orient Express for the first time when I was about 12 years old, and literally, like, taking notes and making diagrams, (laughs) trying to figure out who done it. I, of course, did not even come close to figuring it out. As anyone who's read that book or saw the movie can testify, it is virtually impossible to guess the solution to that. Uh, And I think that's true of most of these stories, really. But it was fun to play detective, document the clues, examine the suspects, etc. Does this genre appeal to you at all? So, not... I shouldn't say it doesn't appeal to me. I don't give a shit. (laughs) Nine times out of ten, I don't care who did it. You don't care who done it. I don't care who done it. I have no interest in... I think part of that, it appeals to an audience's desire to be, like, smarter than the movie. Like, I want to... Right. Figure it out before the movie tells me. I I don't I don't have you, that. You don't have that ego. No, thing. not at all. Like I am more interested in were the characters interesting. Was the story good? Right. I don't care who done it. I really don't. Okay, I think both of these movies will work for you on that front. Okay, because I agree with you, and it it really is almost impossible to figure out who done it in these things mm-hmm. unless they're really dumb. <laughs> unless they're really stupid and badly written, you're probably not going to figure it out. So really, you you go into it pretending it's for the pleasure of figuring it out. Right. And really, it's for the pleasure of being tricked. Just alone right? for the ride. It's, you're, you're there to be tricked, mm-hmm. as far as the plot is concerned. So neither of these two movies we're watching today is really a pure 
you know, British-style whodunit. The Last of Sheila comes closer than Sleuth does to being that with the suspects and trying to figure out who done it. But they're both they're both self-conscious about playing with those tropes, and they're both twisty mysteries that sort of challenge the audience to pay close attention and try to figure out where the next twist is coming from. Mm-hmm. They also both lean heavily into, I think, what we were just talking about, that wanting to be deceived. There's something sort of sadistic about that, and I think both of these mo- movies lean heavily into that the sadistic nature of the format. They, they both begin with an invitation from a wealthy eccentric who enjoys playing games and matching wits with his guests, often in somewhat cruel and sadistic ways. Hmm. That's a big part of what I enjoy about them. I think when I was a kid, I pictured adulthood as this sort of series of elaborately planned dinner parties in which I would... <laughs> You know, play elaborate and psychologically twisted games with my friends. Uh, As it turned out, I had neither the brains nor the the money nor the, frankly, the social circle to enact that future. But, Mm -hmm. you know, that's that's how I thought it was going to be. So here's the thing. (laughs) I would hope, were I wealthy... Uh Uh-huh. I could just think of more interesting things to do. No, I don't think... If you're wealthy, I don't think there's anything better to do. I think what we're finding out in late stage capitalism (laughs) is that wealthy people are bored as shit and are just looking for things to play with Mm. and or just reacting to, you know, real or perceived insults. And so it's just like, can you just go be with your money somewhere? There are islands. There are diamonds to buy. Like, just go go do that. And I don't, like, this whole, oh, I want to treat people like pawns in my little game. (laughs) You're fucking bored, dude. Gotta get out. Do something. Do something else. Better. Anything else. Well, that actually is sort of what the new the new Knives Out movie, Glass Onion, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure I called Green Onion last week when I announced we were doing it. <laughs> Green Onion, of course, being a song by Booker T and the MGs and not the new Ryan Johnson movie. I apologize for that. Uh, I'll probably do that again yep. during this episode. But yeah, the the new the new movie is about. I mean, the the Edward Norton character in the new movie is basically Elon Musk. That's you know. So your point your point is valid. And I do think there is kind of a class thing involved involved in a lot of these stories. Certainly, mm-hmm. both of these movies. Uh, but we we can talk about that later. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. Really, I've just been wanting to watch these two movies with you for a while, and this this gave me an excuse. Uh, in interviews, Ryan Johnson has acknowledged that the original spark for Knives Out definitely came from watching Sleuth as a child. And in fact, there are several overt homages to Sleuth in that film, mostly in regards to Christopher Plummer's character. And especially the decor of his house. Okay. Basically half the props in Christopher Plummer's house in Knives Out were directly influenced by Laurence Olivier's house in Sleuth. And just last year, while filming Glass Onion, Ryan Johnson tweeted about The Last of Sheila, calling it a fantastic 70s whodunit written by Stephen Sondheim and Anthony Perkins, and pretty much the reason I'm in Greece right now. Um, I just saw Glass Onion a few nights ago, and I can confirm that the influence of The Last of Sheila is strong on it. Um, right down to a cameo from the late Stephen Sondheim, and Kate Hudson basically playing the Diane Cannon role from The Last of Sheila. So, this this just gave me a good excuse to watch these movies that I've been wanting to watch with you for a while. Okay. Okay, so let's, we're, let's take these movies one at a time. First, we're going to... We're going to watch and talk about Sleuth. Do you know anything about Sleuth? So, uh, much to which apparently should be shame, I have seen pieces of the remake. 
starring uh, Jude Law. Jude Law and Michael Caine playing Michael the other role from the one he right. played in the original. Uh, I have very vague, fuzzy memory so of it. I, you don't really remember anything about the story very much? I think Jude Law sleeps with his wife or something uh, like that, but that's about all that I remember. Okay. It's, it's kind of important that you don't okay. remember too much of well, that, so hopefully you didn't actually you watch very much of it. <laughs> um, okay, so directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz who is an old Hollywood director. He did The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. He did All About Eve, Guys and Dolls, Cleopatra, many other old Hollywood classics. This was actually his last feature. And written by Anthony Schaefer, based on his own Tony and Edgar Award-winning play. Uh, Schaefer was a playwright, a screenwriter, a novelist. He, he wrote the Hitchcock movie Frenzy. He worked on several Agatha Christie adaptations, including Murder on the Orient Express and Death on the Nile. And he was the mind behind one of your personal favorite films that we've watched for the unenthusiastic critic, The Wicker Man. Oh, God. <laughs> you loved The Wicker Man. I, I did not enjoy that film. Uh, he was also, incidentally, the twin brother of another highly successful playwright, Peter Schaefer, who wrote Equus and Amadeus, so talented family there. Sleuth stars an aging Laurence Olivier, a young Michael Caine, Eve Channing, and, in what turned out to be his only film appearance, veteran stage actor Alec Cawthorn as the detective. It was nominated for four Oscars, including Best Director, Best Music, and Best Actor nominations for both leads. In his four-star review, Roger Ebert called Sleuth a totally engrossing entertainment, funny and scary by turns, and always superbly theatrical. And Ebert said, it's difficult to say more about Sleuth without giving away its plot, which in this case would be a capital offense. So I'm not going to say <laughs> any more about it either. We are just going to go watch it. Okay. Uh, a word about that. <laughs> the uh -oh. availability. Uh, Sleuth is not actually available to watch legally pretty much anywhere. So you just admit that you stole the shit. Well, no, I have it on DVD, but it's not available to stream. In the new Hollywood era of the 1970s, a lot of production companies were popping up. A lot of people were getting into the financing of movies. And one of them, the production company was Palomar, had major investments from the pharmaceutical company Bristol Myers. Eventually, Palomar went under, and Bristol Myers ended up with ownership of a bunch of movies, including Sleuth, The Heartbreak Kid, The Stepford Wives... And being a pharmaceutical company, they could give a shit that they own these movies. <laughs> so they haven't made them available anywhere. There are crappy remakes of all those movies available, but the originals are sort of lost mm -hmm. at this point. How are you a pharmaceutical company sitting on those movies and not? You could have made some awesome drug commercials. The Step for Wives? Come on. <laughs> that's a, that's... You're suggesting they make an entire yes. pharmaceutical line around just the Stepford Wives? The, the suite of movies that they just, every movie, I'm sure with every movie you can figure out some sort of drug tie-in and be like, yeah, that's a, that's a waste. It's a missed opportunity. Yeah. However, as I think I mentioned last week, there is a nice copy of Sleuth on YouTube at the moment. It is undoubtedly not supposed to be there, <laughs> and it probably will get taken down eventually. But as of this recording, it's there. People can go watch the entire movie on YouTube for free. I highly recommend you do that if you have never seen Sleuth. Nikki and I are going to go watch it now, and when we come back, we will discuss Sleuth. Think of the perfect crime. The house is empty. Have you ever actually committed a crime before? Then go one step further. This, as they say, is where the plot thickens. It's a real game and a real murder. There's absolutely 
no point in playing another pretend game. Isn't that right? Palomar Pictures International presents... I understand you want to marry my wife. With your permission, of course. Lawrence Olivier. You may not agree with this, Inspector, but you take it from me. The shortest way to a man's heart is through humiliation. You soon find out what he's made of. Michael Caine. Why don't I just keep tapping you lightly on the head with a poker until the lump comes up? Can't make a game out of real murder. We'll see. In Joseph L. Mankiewicz's film... You're mad! You're a bloody madman! You are a young man, dressed as a clown, about to be murdered. Of Anthony Schaffer's Tony Award-winning play, Sleuth. You actually put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger. As a game? You know the answer to that just as well as I do. We have your note summoning Mr. Tyndall here. Shots were heard. Bullet holes made. Blood is on the banisters and the carpet. His clothes were hidden in your wardrobe and he has disappeared. Who needs a body? <laughs> I'm sorry you appear to find this all quite so funny. I did not murder him! It's the truth. Liar. <laughs> and we're back. During the break, Nikki and I watched the first film in our mystery double feature, Sleuth. And prior to our discussion of either of these movies, I do want to implore our listeners to actually watch the movies before listening to this part. Because, as usual, we are going to spoil the crap out of their surprises. Starting right now. <laughs> so, Nakia, if you had seen Sleuth on the stage in its original theatrical form, when you sat down, you would have been handed a program that would have listed six actors in the cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the film does does the same thing. Uh, to this day, IMDb gamely lists, in addition to Laurence Olivier and Michael Caine, supporting actors Alec Cawthorn as Inspector Doppler, <laughs> Eve Channing as Marguerite, John Matthews as Detective Sergeant Tarrant, and Teddy Martin as Police Constable Higgins. Mm. In fact, of course... These are bold-faced lies. <laughs> Olivier and Kane are the only people in this movie, and Sleuth is, in fact, an answer to a Oscars trivia question about movies where the entire cast were nominated. Uh, there's only two. One was Give Him Hell, Harry, which was James Whitmore's one-man show about Harry Truman. He was nominated, so technically that counts. And then Sleuth. Uh, you will see Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf listed in that category, but there's a couple of extras in there that did not get nominated, so. <laughs> okay. Anyway, you don't care about any of that. What did you make a sleuth? How did you enjoy this one? Um, I enjoyed it. Okay. I mean, we went into this with me saying I don't really care about the mystery, and right. this didn't really. It was just a matter of whether you enjoy the characters right. and enjoy the writing. Uh, so. And so, and particularly with like a two-hander like this, it really sort of lives or dies by whether or not you're enjoying Olivier and Michael Caine yeah. to sort of have a good time. Mm-hmm. And whether or not the the writing works and not even in the is it believable necessarily but is it just fun fun snappy, and snappy and witty in those in that sense I, I i enjoyed just watching them have a good time i thought the writing was though very stagey and very like nobody talks like that 
Uh, but <laughs> no matter how British, I still I I enjoy just mm-hmm. watching them sort of rib at each other. I don't know how much Olivier you have seen. Not much at all. I don't. I was trying to think if I have ever seen him have more fun than he has. In he this was having movie. a very good time. He was having a ball. Yes. in this movie, and he's not an actor I think of as. You know, has a lot of fun right. on screen. He seems yeah. very disciplined. Right. <laughs> yes. So, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. Okay. So, we've got two movies to talk about today. So, we're not going to spend as much time as we usually do on each of these movies. I think this one, it, it breaks down pretty easily into three parts, mm-hmm. right? There's Whether that's where the actual act breaks come into play, I don't remember. But there's definitely three major set pieces. Mm-hmm. The first part, I think, is actually my favorite part of the movie. This is mystery writer Andrew White, played by Olivier, has invited this young man, Milo Tyndall, a young hairdresser, to his overly furnished country <laughs> manor, which mm-hmm. he calls Cloak Manor, mm-hmm. for for a little visit. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I think the first part is definitely, maybe the first and then the final acts are, mm. are the two that I enjoyed the most, okay. just because they are both such sort of, well, actually, you know what, maybe not. When do we say that the first act ends? Uh, with... When you're thinking of three acts, when does the first act end? I, well, the the split I was thinking of is the first act is Olivier's play, right? It's mm-hmm. it, And it ends with a gunshot. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. The second act opens with the arrival of Inspector the, Doppler Inspector, okay. and ends with the reveal mm-hmm. of Inspector Doppler. Mm-hmm. And then the third act is the denouement. Okay. So maybe I like all three. Okay. Good. Yeah, I mean, the first one, I think it felt more... The first and the third, I think, felt like more high-wire acts than this. The, the mm. tone was constantly shifting. Yes. It's like, are we joking? And, that's, and now things got Those are the serious. moments I love in this movie, yeah, where that tone like, just shifts on a and dime. And you can, you can feel the danger in the moment yes. of, like, oh, anything can happen right now. Like, he could be joking, or he could be yeah. about to sort of kill this person. So I think that's what I really enjoyed about it, was it, it did feel... You were sort of walking that high wire with him of not knowing how that how those moments were sort of going to turn. Yeah, but that first act, I think they are both having the most fun. Sure. And what I like about it, and I especially like when I rewatch this movie, is watching Olivier ply Milo Tyndall with drinks. Mm-hmm. I think Olivier takes like one sip of a drink throughout that entire first act, mm-hmm. and he is constantly handing Michael Caine glasses of alcohol and michael kane is downing them yes and he's getting drunker and drunker and his judgment is getting faultier and faultier as that first act proceeds mm-hmm. so just give us a very quick synopsis of synopsis of the of the plot here <laughs> okay uh well we enter into a maze yes i love that hedge maze it's a great hedge maze uh so tyndall arrives at the manor uh, as he's been summoned by um, Wyke, and he has to go through this hedge maze to find why, and it's, it's like getting lost and all turned around, and this is all sort of the instrumental intro, and then finally finds him, and uh, Wyke reveals that one of the of sort of portion of the bush is actually sort of like a, a door, basically that you have to right. push. Right. So on the, the maze actually doesn't even lead right. to the center unless so you. So it's open already the we're already door. in a game, right? And and. You know, Tyndall doesn't even quite know it yet, but like you're already, it's basically a mouse trap, and you've just now you've entered the trap. Exactly. And what starts out as a very cordial cordial conversation yeah. 
quickly turns to, so you're fucking my wife. <laughs> so I understand you want to marry my wife. And I understand you guys want to get married. So all very British. All very, all very polite. You know, an above board of like, okay, well, this is, we've now entered into a negotiation of what needs to happen <laughs> mm-hmm. in order for you to marry my wife. You're a broke-ass hairdresser. <laughs> you're going to need some money because she has very expensive, expensive taste. And I don't want that bitch coming back to me when you can't right. afford her. So I have a proposal. Right. And his proposal is that there's $250,000 worth of jewelry in a safe. You're going to steal it. It's all it. insured. It's all insured. You're going to steal it, fence it, take about 170000 and I will get paid the insurance. Right. It all sounds very, very logical. Very clear and logical. Unless mean, you take sure. just an extra moment to think about it. Why are you right. doing this? Like, you're fucking the guy's wife. Mm-hmm. He's going to give you 170,000 yeah. pounds worth of jewels. To take her off your hands. To take her off his hands. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, it, it sounds like a win-win proposition, but... It is. <laughs> that's why when up. that turn comes at the end of the act, it's like, oh, yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah, it's a total setup. <laughs> and the whole time, there, there's a moment when Michael Caine... Well, there are moments where Michael Caine does have that moment of, like, sanity where he's like yeah this doesn't make sense why are we doing this right and the planning is getting overly complicated because it's like okay i'll just go up there and take the jewels and white is like well no no you can't just go up there and take them right you have to put the costume, you have to put a costume on. on nobody can recognize you somebody might see you a, a they're in the middle of nowhere you, he says. and no you can't just walk up there you need to get the ladder from the right. shed and you need to break into uh-huh. the window and there needs to be a whole thing we and need it's to just dynamite getting the safe and all of the it's more, more, and more complicated elaborate. which again it sounds like it's just way too elaborate and then yeah. you realize that's intentional too right because he has to set up his own alibi for his quote-unquote murder. And if it was simple, that would give Michael Caine more time to think right. about right. the problems yes. with this plan. But it's, you know, it's it's so elaborate that it's, it's a game of smoke and mirrors where it's just distracting him constantly from thinking about it yes. too much. And it's enough... To get Michael Caine excited about the plan. Like, he starts oh, to get into it. He gets it. really into it. He's like, oh, it. there's a clown costume. I really want to be, like, I can I do this clown to, thing. Yeah. And- <laughs> He's doing a little dance. There's yes. a moment where they're trying on the costumes where you get a little homoerotic thing yes. going on. Yes. That they're, yes, they are enjoying each other's company at mm-hmm. that point. Mm-hmm. But there are also moments of this sort of darkness mm-hmm. that creeps in. Mm-hmm. The the ransacking of the bedroom scene is is a moment where some darker stuff starts to surface. Yes. So Wyke takes uh, Michael Caine into his wife's bedroom and is like, okay, you need to ransack the bedroom because it needs to look like, you know, you were a robber trying to look for the jewels. And so this is what a robber would do. Instead of Michael Caine's character ransacking it, we just watch a couple minutes (laughs) of Olivier's character just destroying his wife's things, tearing nightgowns, throwing things out, smashing mirrors. Smashing mirrors. And so it's clearly a little bit of an exorcism for himself. Like He's very angry with her and very (laughs) angry with the situation. And that probably should have been another red flag for Michael Caine. I like at the end of that scene, Caine says, Okay, so where's your bedroom right. now? And they're like, he's and like, no, no, like, that wouldn't no, make no, any that's, sense. That's not logical. No, we're not, like, we're not going to tear up my the shit. The next logical thing you would do is look for the safe. Yes. Right. And then they they stage a fight scene. It's all, you know. Very well choreographed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then it turns. Then it turns. Wyke takes a gun and Michael Caine, still in his clown uniform, realizes that he's been set up. That it, basically, Wyke has created 
a scene where it looks like someone did break into uh-huh. the manor and try to steal the jewels and Wyke was just defending himself. He's created a scenario where he can shoot this guy yep. in cold blood and kill him and get away with it. And so there's this, there are a couple moments with Michael Caine where, again, it's like these weird tonal shifts where he goes from very sort of slapstick and silly to these very sort of soft reflective moments mm-hmm. of like being the child of an immigrant and like, yeah, sort of shame well, we haven't and talked embarrassment about that. About we haven't that talked about sort of the class thing that's going yeah, on here. But and, when he realizes that Wyke is going to shoot him, like he, he's just broken. He's just like, I can't. Like, yeah. you're, what, what is happening? Like, he thought they were in this together this whole time, and it feels like such a betrayal to him. And Wyke is so sort of callous about it. He's like, well, yeah, yeah. you have to die, of course. And Wyke says, what? in retrospect, is obvious. He's like, why would I make myself so ridiculous as to give you my wife and, and my, my money, jewels yep. and send you off? You, you know, jumped up little pantry boy, he calls him, yes. who doesn't know his place. Yes. How dare you think you can come in here and take what belongs to me? And it is a class thing, and it is an immigrant thing. It's a, you know, Wyke is old British aristocracy, and Milo Tyndall is formerly Tindalini, mm-hmm. the son of an immigrant watchmaker who was poor. And, you know, so there's this whole, you know, who's going to inherit England thing involved in this. Yeah. And Mike's like, no, you, you know, you're an idiot. I'm, I'm going to shoot you. And so he does. And it's, it is a very powerful scene. Like Michael Caine is. is breaking down, just sobbing, the snots running yeah. off his face as he's standing there. Dressed as a clown. Dressed as a clown. Right. He's a, Olivier says, you are a young man dressed as a clown about to die. And shoots him in the head. Shoots him in the head. He falls down the stairs. Olivier checks his pulse. End of act one. End of act one. Okay, so what did you make? This is a great movie for first viewing. So Mm -hmm. what did you make? Did you... In that, throughout that first act, see where it was going. I did see where it was going. You did suspect yes. Olivier's motives. Yes, because it did scheme. not make any sense. It didn't matter that it didn't make any sense, but it, it absolutely did not make any sense. Like, nope, he would not okay. do this. So you suspected he was setting yes. Kane up for yes. something. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then what about the gunshot? I thought Michael Kane was dead. You thought Michael Kane was yes. dead. Okay. I thought he did murder Michael Kane. Okay. Yes. You, you had every reason to think that. That's I did. what we were all led to believe. I did. Okay, so then we're 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 into Act Two here, mm-hmm. and Andrew is alone in his house. It's some days later, I think, right? Yeah. Uh, I think we find out it's only been two days, but it, two days, right? Before we know that, it's hard to know like how right. much time has sort of passed. And there's a knock on the door, and it is Inspector Doppler. Yes. So Mike was sitting down to enjoy some caviar <laughs> with lemon. <laughs> Uh, and then he was interrupted by the doorbell. An, an older, portly gentleman, Inspector Doppler. Inspector Doppler, who is immediately the smartest inspector that anyone has ever known and seems to already have everything all worked out. He does seem to have the map of what happened here yes. clear in his mind. He comes in, he immediately spots the bullet holes mm-hmm. that where Andrew had fired the gun in He earlier. finds the blood that's under the carpet on the stairs. Uh-huh. It's a whole thing. He knows that the clothes that that Wyke's, excuse me, that uh, Tyndall's clothes are hidden in the, in the cupboard wardrobe. in the bedroom. And so we get a little bit of role revo- reversal because now Wyke is in the role of mouse. Yes. And the inspector is in the role of cat. And so there's this really, as we think about sort of these class tensions, there's this exchange between the two of them in the kitchen where 
uninvited, the inspector eats. Picks up the caviar. White's caviar. And he's like, yeah, this is great. I don't like this. <laughs> it tastes like fish. Tastes like fish eggs. And so this delicacy. Can't say I care for it, sir. He's just like, yeah, no, I don't. This is not good. <laughs> and then just proceeds to sort of own Wyke's home, really, mm-hmm. for, for you know, a good half hour And Wyke so. is getting more and more nervous more as More and more proceeds. nervous and more and more agitated and had his story down. But at every so, moment, he's able to sort of debunk what he says. And it's interesting what's happening between the film and the audience. Mm-hmm. And it was between the stage and the audience in the original. Because as far as we know, Michael Caine is dead. Mm-hmm. Right? He has murdered him. The detective is uncovering the crime. Right. Try, that's what we think this movie's about now. Right. Is the detective going to be able to figure out what happened and is Andrew going to be caught? Right. I, I think even if we believe that mm-hmm. scenario, there's a question of are we rooting for Andrew to get away with it? Are we rooting for him to be caught? Like who is... Oh, always rooting for him to be caught. Rooting for him to be he's caught. A, You're not on his side at he's all. He's a dick. <laughs> well, yeah, he's a dick, but he's fun. I mean... Sure. Okay. But now here we come into the problem of it, which is that the moment Inspector Doppler walked in, you said... Is that Michael Caine? (laughs) (laughs) And I dutifully said, no, no, that's uh, that's, uh, Alec Cawthorn. He's a veteran stage actor. And I sat with and I was like, I think that's Michael Caine. And I was just hoping, I mean, for one thing, all white people look the same to you anyway. I was just kind of hoping... That maybe it would get past you. No, it looks like Michael Caine. It's harder than it was in 1972. When he was younger. Right, because Michael Caine, we now are familiar with the aged, Mm -hmm. more portly Michael Caine, who looks a lot like this guy did in old age makeup. So it was, you know, they did a good job in the old age makeup, but he looks like the Michael Caine we are now familiar with. Yes, yes. And his just his mannerisms and his speech patterns... Again, Michael Caine was not as known a quantity in 1972 as he is now. We are very familiar with Michael Caine now. Yes. So that illusion is harder to maintain. I think it was always harder on film than it would have been on stage. Mm. On stage, you can imagine how this would have worked perfectly. Yes, yes. Right? From from a few from rows a distance, back, yeah. mm-hmm. you would be completely fooled mm-hmm. by this trick. Yeah. Um, but yes, yeah, so... Inspector Doppler goes through the whole reconstruction of the crime, and he is arresting. Yes, Andrew well, and White. even finds things that you know we didn't know about the fact that like there was a plot dug up in the garden, and yes. so okay, that's that's where you buried the right. body, and all these other things that you know we didn't. And again, for all we to. know, that's right. True. That's exactly what happened. But so yes, he finally uh, puts Wyke under arrest, and Wyke in this moment is basically confessing to doing everything, and is sort of on the verge of tears and having a breakdown. And then Tyndall does the thing that all villains, quote unquote, do in movies, which is like, now I'm going to tell you my whole plan. And all of a sudden, and so as he's taking off the prosthetics, he's literally sitting on Andrew, (laughs) straddling him, holding him down and revealing like, oh, if you had been paying attention, you would know that Inspector, what is the last name? Doppler. Doppler is. Earlier, Andrew White had been talking about. You know this the this imaginary policeman called Inspector Plodder, mm-hmm. and he said, "You know, Doppler, if you'll notice, is German for double, first of all, and second of all, virtually an anagram for Inspector Plodder." Yes. <laughs> so yes, yes, and then he t- starts peeling off his makeup, and it's Milo. Yes, and it was this whole sort of cheeky response to Wyke's arrogance about his books and the way that he portrays police in his books as sort of dumb and they right. never... He said earlier, police you know, in your books are always right. stupid. And so to have been bested by 
who he thought was a police it actually turns out to be yeah michael kane but it was just this sort of extra layer of humiliation yeah. for him so what i one of the things i do like about this movie is i think because i've watched it with with people over the years and sometimes they twig very quickly to the fact that it's michael kane <laughs> and sometimes they don't but it doesn't matter because no. it's almost like the least important right. trick in the movie mm-hmm. that's the shortest section of the movie you get it you don't get it whatever we're still not done right Right. We're still not. That's not even if you even if you figure that part out, there's more to come Mm -hmm. to fool you. Yes. So now we enter the third act. Mm -hmm. I like how Andrew White very quickly starts to pretend that he was only just playing along. He knew it all. Yes. He He says, you nearly had me fooled. Yes. He basically pissed his pants. (laughs) Because he can't admit that he's been bested by Mm -hmm. by Milo in this way. Yes. But Andrew also thinks they're done now and they're even and, right. you know, oh, good sport. You got me back. Well done. Now we're done. We're not done. And then the movie takes another turn. Yes. We go to a darker place where basically Tyndall says, you humiliated me into the worst way possible. And you have no idea what it means to sort of think that you're di- you're going That's to die. such a powerful scene. And you don't die. Right. He says, you know, I I was there on the stairs looking down at my coat sleeve and then knowing that was the last thing I was ever going to see ever. And then I heard the sound of my own death. And he says, that changes you. Mm-hmm. And he, his point is that making Andrew think he was about to be arrested is not right. getting even for that. No. There is no getting even for that. No. That, the humiliation that he imposed on him. Yes. So he's got another plan. There's another game. This game is called Frame Wyke for the Murder of His Mistress, Taya. <laughs> yes. So during the first act, Wyke talked about the fact that he was actually okay with his wife leaving because he had been carrying on with this Mistress Taya who had blue eyes like the ocean or some bullshit like that. And she was just amazing and wonderful and blah, 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 blah. So in the third act, Michael Caine is basically like, I, I took the thing that you loved, which yeah. was Taya. I strangled her. After I had sex with her. Right. So again, there's this, what had started in the first act of this sort of like bantery, playful, sort of jockeying of masculinity yeah, and virility. competition. Turned to something very different of like, you're an impotent fool and I have cuckolded you twice now. Right. And then I murdered. And then I murdered mistress. her. Yes. And I'm in the process of framing yes. you for her murder. There are four clues in this house that will that the police will find that will link you to her murder. The police the- will be here in 15 minutes. <laughs> Go. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, Andrew still doesn't believe it. He's like, it's another right. game. You're just, you know, nice try, mm-hmm. but you're overreaching this time. And he picks up the phone and he calls Taya's flat. Mm-hmm. And Taya's roommate answers, and it's very clear that Taya's roommate is telling him... She's dead. Taya's been found murdered, mm. and it, it all becomes real for Andrew Yes, at that on that phone call. Uh, it's a really nice, really nice scene. Because I think we, as the audience, are, like, wondering, too, is this right. real? Right, right. But that was like, okay, it is, it is real. Mm-hmm. So then Andrew starts frantically running around the house looking for the four clues that... So the whole time, even when he was being sort of hogtied by Inspector Doppler, uh, he had on a very 
fetching, smoking jacket, <laughs> and an ascot, and was sort of his unrumpled self. Country gentleman. The country gentleman look. As soon as he sort of hears all of this from Tyndall and is getting ready to sort of set out on, on this sort of really morbid sca- scavenger hunt, he takes off the smoking jacket and sort of unbuttons himself, and we just proceed to watch him sort of devolve into this sweaty, <laughs> rumpled, stressed out mess as he tries to sort of save himself mm-hmm. in this moment. Yes, in fact, there's even a moment because he's searching, he has to search the coal bin for mm-hmm. one of the clues, and he's getting dirtier and just dirtier. covered in soot. And Tyndall says something about becoming black, and mm-hmm. he says something like, Blacks don't play a large role in, in your the sort novels, of books you right. write. Yes. 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 So again, picking at uh, Wyke's sort of classness, classism, yeah, superiority, and racism, quite frankly. Yeah. Um, and it is this, and it, and Tyndall remarks on it in that, yes, Wyke is clearly like stressed out and worried and trying to find these clues at the same time, <laughs> is getting off on He's being in this little game with him. Loving it. Loving it. Yes. Yeah. So the clock is the clock is counting down. The police are going to arrive any minute now. Mm-hmm. Andrew's running around the apartment. Milo's giving him cryptic clues as to where to find the things. He, he finally, at the last second, finds all the things. We... Milo's like, the cops are here. I'll try to stall them for a minute. He goes to the door. We hear him having a conversation with the cops at the door as Andrew is finding the last clue and then washing the soot and stuff off himself and putting himself together and turning himself back into the aristocratic gentleman. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then Milo says, can I show the police in now? And he stands there and there are no police. There are no police. (laughs) And then he proceeds to... Act out the scene with the police. <laughs> and it's a brilliant moment. And Andrew just collapses yeah. in his chair. Yeah. He's had his manuscript in his lap that just falls onto the floor and he's just, he's fallen for it again. Milo has beaten him again. Yes. He tells him that Taya is still alive. Yeah. But was very much okay with playing this game with him because she is aware of his little She's humiliating games. She's all too games. aware of the kind of games he, you like to play, he says. And that they hadn't actually been together in like a year. <laughs> no. So, and that he was impotent. Uh-huh. So it was just this humiliation upon humiliation upon humiliation. And we are just watching like. Do you feel bad for him at this point? No. It looks like he's like <laughs> in no the process. None at all. In the process of having a heart attack, basically. Like he just, you just, you're watching him sort of, everything about his identity is just being stripped away. Mm-hmm. No, I do not feel bad for him. You invited your, your wife's lover to your home with the intention of making him at least think that you were going to kill him. Mm-hmm. Everything that comes after that, that's on you, bro. <laughs> And he's a racist piece of shit, so I don't really feel bad for racist piece of shit. So Milo's like, okay, I'm just going to go get Marguerite's coat and Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave. We're going to go. We're going to (laughs) go. We're done here. Uh, But that's one humiliation too much for Wyke, and so he gets his gun again. And he realizes the original scenario will work here. Mm Mm-hmm. Because he can still claim that Tyndall broke into the home and tried to... Now it's, oh, he tried to steal Marguerite's fur coat. Yeah. And so I was, you know, defending blah, 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 blah. And initially Tyndall's like, you you know, we've done this before. I know it's blanks. Yeah. You're not going to do this. And he's like, yeah, no, we're, you're right. We can't do that again. Now 
it has to be different. Yeah. And uh, Tyndall goes for the door. And well, Tyndall says Tyndall says it won't work this time mm-hmm. because I really did go talk to the cops. Yes, he does. Yes. After what you did to me Friday night, I told them what you did to me, and he says they didn't take it very seriously. He says I think they thought I got what I deserved because mm-hmm. I was messing with the wife of a local lord whatever andrew is but he said even if they don't come around to investigate you like they said they would they're still not gonna buy your shooting a robber story this time right but andrew says you can't he says you can't play the same bluff on me three times running so milo goes to the door quite confident he's just gonna walk away and andrew shoots him in the back yes did you see this all coming um I mean, I I knew that Wyke was not going to let that humiliation go un, unanswered. Okay, let's back up. Did you think Milo had actually killed Taya? For a second, I did think he had killed yeah. Taya because it did take a dark turn. Yes, it seemed like where that's... he was like a he was like I'm a different person. I was like, okay, now you're a murderer. Yeah. Um. So yes, I did think he had killed Taya. Okay. So yeah, so Milo is is lying there bleeding to death on the floor. Turns out he didn't lie about calling the police because <laughs> we have actual police lights that Showing have now up. arrived outside and police actual police banging on the door. And so White just sort of barricades himself into his manner and looking very small and scared. We just watch him stand there with total just fear. And with his dying line, Milo says, "Be sure to tell them it was just a bloody game." Yeah. And that is Sleuth. That, that is, is the sleuth. end of Sleuth. In the play, as I recall, and I haven't read it in a while, before Andrew shoots Milo, and before he, maybe even before he decides to shoot Milo, the first time or the second time, the second time at okay. the end at the end of the play, he invites Milo basically to move in mm. because he he sort of says, "You and I are." You and I know what it is to play a game. You and I are evenly matched. He basically says, stay with me and we can just keep playing games <laughs> forever. So that sort of homoerotic element that's been there throughout. Is more overt. Is more overt. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, that's Andrew wants someone to play with. That's what he wants. Yeah. Um, and Milo was like, no, that's not interested in doing that at all. And I do think in terms of the larger, and I don't, think it's this is an overtly political story but i think it's there and i think the class issues are there and i think that whole thing it's that kind of being offered a seat at the table come mm-hmm. in and if, if you can play our game our way you can have a seat at the table we'll invite you in and you can become one of us right that kind of thing that milo just rejects he's like i'm not i don't want to be at that table right milo says earlier he, andrew says you know look at how you chose to get back at me you you played a game and milo says well that's just simple revenge he's Mm -hmm. like every italian understands giving back in kind Mm -hmm. but that's it's not that i enjoy game playing it's just that i'm this is what you understand back to you on your own terms right he's not interested in becoming andrew no no all right what else haven't we talked about do you have any other any favorite parts we haven't talked about we haven't talked about the house we haven't talked about the decor i mean i sort of wanted when i was a kid this is sort of the house i wanted why? I wanted the hedge maze. I wanted the games. So I much dusting. <laughs> um, I mean, the house, when you have 
a film that's sort of structured like this that is basically one set. Like they didn't, yeah. other than the hedge maze, they were in the house. I think it was necessary for it to be really sort of dense and layered because your eye is always sort of falling on something. Um, and there was this, you know, they made these sort of um, directorial choices where there would be moments in the film where all of a sudden we would sort of land on one of the little tchotchkes um, like yeah, the, I love that. It's the jolly sailor. Right, he has all these puppets and mm-hmm. animatronic figures and mannequins and things around. And they would seem to be reacting and to Mankiewicz whatever was would, happening. Right, Mankiewicz would cut to them for reaction shots, yeah. and it was I was very effective as if I they think. were sort of observing and participating in what was happening, and sort of creating a creepy yeah. kind of. It was very, very almost like a Greek chorus yeah. in the back watching this play out of these yeah. things. Um, and there's the running gag of the jolly sailor where. You know, Wyke basically has it set up all over the fucking house where he can press a button and then the Jolly Sarah <laughs> like laughs claps and laughs and, claps. and it's very weird and odd looking when it does it. And <laughs> at one point his eye is like not working properly. Right. Um, but it just adds to the absurdity of it. And also, again, it's like this, the silliness, but also a really dark and menacing thing of like they're they're silly and they're just toys but there's also something really menacing and scary about them and i think it's also i mean it's it's a commentary on wyke and on the gentry yeah. in general yeah. the, like that's what people are to you are mm-hmm. just these toys these mm-hmm. possessions these things that you play with and right. they do your bidding when you press the button and all of that and yeah yeah it's it's great so yeah the, i mean the house was a great set it was a great again when you have just like a two-hander in one set yeah i really liked it's it's always hard to to make a movie of a play. Mm-hmm. You either open it up too much and it becomes too or it cinematic. Feels like a play. You lose the yeah. theatrical right, or it's too. And I think they did a good job with yeah. this of like the maze is a good set that I'm sure wasn't in mm-hmm. the play and that kind of stuff. But it's not. They don't do too much with it. It's still we still have that claustrophobic sense of being in that house. Yeah. Were there any particular lines or anything that you liked? I mean, I like I said, that that first act, I think that whole exchange when Tyndall first gets to the house is just really interesting and is sort of full of those sort of stereotypically underhanded but very polite British comments where mm-hmm. it's like, it sounds very nice, but he just called you a dick. You know, like, it's just like, so they move from, you know, as they're sort of talking about all of, you know, the, the sort of plan and proposal, they move to the pool table and they start playing pool and White hands Tyndall a pool cue and the whole time Tyndall's just standing there with like he never really gets to <laughs> do a shot and, and at the end once White has sort of cleared the table, he's like, well, why are you standing there with that Whatever pool cue? Whatever are you doing with that cue in your hand? He's like, I guess I was just waiting for my turn and he just never got his turn but there's this, they have this awesome banter between the two of them where, again, sort of trying to one-up each other in the bedroom where mm-hmm. he's like, you know, Wyke is like, I'm pretty much like the in the sexual Olympics or something, a sexual Olympics <laughs> athlete. And then Tyndall says something to the effect of, oh, it must have been in like the sprint and not the long. Right. He says, I suppose you're concentrating more <laughs> right. on the sprints and the long distance. Stuff. And all very smiley and polite. And it's just uh-huh. like, oh, Lord. So, yeah. It's... <laughs> when I was in high school and in college, I did theater. I did plays. And I, I never could decide which one of these, not that it was ever offered to me, I could never decide which one of these roles I would want. Olivier. What do you, what do you think? You think Olivier is the yes. better role? I mean, Tyndall, you get to you get to put the disguise on, you get to play the yeah. Inspector Doppler, you get to do all of that. But I think Olivier... You get that great emotional breakdown. ...is having more fun. It's just I more fun that, to be the villain. I think that's where I always came down yeah. to. Yeah. 
but it's tough. These are two. I mean, they're both really meaty, good parts, um, and it allows them to play a lot of different things. Yes. But I think I would I would do Olivier. At my age now, I would definitely have to play. Olivier. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the, the the young Latin lover is not really gonna young Italian gonna lover. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Anything else to say about Sleuth before we move on to the second film in our double feature? Uh, no. I enjoyed it. I liked it. Okay. Good. So far, so good. So far, so good. A man is dead. Evidence indicates that it's murder. And we've discovered the murdered man was playing a sadistic game with his guests. A game whose central theme was six hidden shreds from the past. Any questions? Yeah, but you say the heat. He knew that I never meant to. Christine, wait, wait. That's bullshit. I mean, nobody would have knocked Clinton's brains in because of some stupid secret. I agree. Look at these cards, enough to make us squirm, sure. Enough to remind us of just how nasty Clinton could be, sure. But enough to kill him? No. Do let's see your card, old boy. Hit and run killer. What a sick joke. No. Clinton always took his game seriously. He wouldn't have spoiled this with a joke. It seems clear enough he believed one of us guilty of a hit and run killing. Sheila. Okay, so let's talk briefly about this next movie we're going to watch. Do you know anything about The Last of Sheila? Nope. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay, good. So this was written by Anthony Perkins, uh, Norman Bates Psycho, and Psycho, yeah. yep, and Broadway legend Stephen Sondheim. Um, it's the only screenplay credit for either man. Mm-hmm. They sort of did this project as a lark. They were longtime friends. They were living together for a while. They were probably lovers at some point. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter, but they were very close. And they, particularly Sondheim, but together, they would throw these elaborate parties, scavenger hunts, murder mystery parties for their famous friends Mm -hmm. from Hollywood and the theater world. As Stephen Schiff wrote in a 1993 profile of Sondheim for The New Yorker, Stephen Sondheim's most famous game took place in Manhattan on Halloween 1968. It required 20 people, four limousines, complicated maps full of numbers and arrows, and a sack of perplexing props, scissors, bits of string, pins. Each team of five had to drive to a spot designated on the map, and there they would find a clue telling them where to go next. The trouble was the clues were numbers, and there was no way of knowing how they might be revealed. One destination was a bustling bowling alley in which the last lane was curiously empty. There stood a single enigmatic pin which you had to bowl over in such a way that you glimpsed the number written on its side. Another site proved to be nothing but a nondescript door with a mail slot. But if you stuck your ear near the slot, you could hear the faint voice of Frank Sinatra singing One for My Baby, which might still have stumped you unless you recognized that the lyric begins, It's a quarter to three. A quarter to three, the number was 245. Then there was the vestibule of a brownstone where a small elderly woman, actually Anthony Perkins' mother, would beckon you upstairs for some coffee and a slice of cake. Those who actually ate the cake stood no chance of winning the game. The clue was drawn on the icing. (laughs) That was the last of the big game parties, Sondheim says. Towards the end of the 60s, beginning of the 70s, I don't know, it just stopped. Everybody outgrew them except me. So Sondheim loved 
games. He loved putting on these big elaborate games for his friends. You are shaking your head because you think. Here's the deal. <laughs> can we just have dinner? <laughs> no. Can I, See, can this just... sounds like so much fun to can me. Can I just eat? <laughs> That would be my question. No. Sondheim. No. Are we eating before or after this little adventure? <laughs> no, it's gonna we're gonna be running around Manhattan all night. I will be there for dinner. Chasing down clues. And we'll leave. And you can't even eat the cake because the clue event. is on the cake. Like I'm not I just can't nope. <laughs> Can we just have dinner? It sounds so great to me. <laughs> I got work in the morning. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> So anyway, that was the inspiration for this movie. And in fact, just to bring everything full circle this week, uh, among Sondheim's theater friends were playwrights Anthony and Peter Schaefer. And it was one of Sondheim's parties, reportedly, that gave Anthony Schaefer the idea for Sleuth. Mm. And in fact, the character of Andrew Wyke is probably based largely (laughs) on Stephen Sondheim and his obsession with (laughs) games. So... Olivier's character in Sleuth and James Coburn's character in The Last of Sheila are both at least inspired by Stephen Sondheim. So this movie is about a Hollywood producer who invites his his friends, actor, writer, director friends, to the south of France to play games. I think we can safely assume that most of the roles in the movie were based on actual people. Mm-hmm. James Mason's washed-up director is allegedly based at least in part on Orson Welles. <laughs> Diane Cannon's grasping agent is based on real-life Hollywood super agent Sue Mengers, who apparently they actually offered the role in the movie. Um, Raquel Welch, they apparently told her that her role was based on Anne Margaret, but a large part of it is based on Raquel Welch herself. <laughs> and since all of the characters in this movie turn out to have dark, embarrassing secrets, I'm sure that made the, the guessing game about who was who even more fun. The film was shot on location in the south of France on a yacht owned by a real-life movie producer. I think everyone was having fun in this movie. Mm -hmm. Roger Ebert called it a devilishly complicated thriller of superior class. He says it involves game playing in the way Sleuth did, but the game is more devious. The performances are sharp-edged and mean and very good. It's the meanness that I actually enjoy most about this movie. This is one of the bitchiest movies I have ever seen, and I enjoy the way these characters are bitchy to each other. Eber goes on to say, It's the kind of movie that wraps you up in itself and absorbs you at the very time you're being impressed by its cleverness. We shall see what you think. Uh, it sounds like you were skeptical about rich people spending their money this way. I mean, I just don't. So here's the deal. Part of the reason why I don't like or c- could never sort of get into like the Real Housewives franchises because I didn't understand why people would... I mean, I know what it's for on TV and they're getting paid to be on TV and part of that deal is like you need to create drama and create storylines. I get it. At the same time, like, y'all got money. Just go shopping. Like, you're in the Bahamas arguing and throwing drinks. Like, just... Can you just be in the Bahamas? So, like, can we just be in the south of France? You could afford not to have this right. drama. You could just be in the damn south of France. I don't want to be bitchy in the south of France. I just want to... Uh- It'll be interesting when we watch this movie because I think most of the characters in this movie feel the same way. They're like, we have we have to jump through these hoops for our rich producer friend, but we don't really. See, no, we don't that's really where do you this. form a union and you say, no, we're just going to go to the south of France. Full stop. All right, we'll see who you relate to in this movie. <laughs> we're going to go watch The Last of Sheila. That was the last of Sheila. That was what they thought anyway. Until they started playing Sheila's game. Tom thought he could beat the game. 
Christine played for the prize. Clinton was the master of the game. I call it the Sheila Green Memorial Gossip Game. Lee played because she had to. You think I'll ever hear the last of Sheila? Tommy, let's just make this movie and put the money in mutual bonds and go home. Philip knew too much about the game. Maybe Clinton drugs the grill, nobody else was there. And I'm just puttering my way through the debris of my rusty imagination. Tom, where's the ice pick? What? I said, where's the bloody ice pick? Anthony thought you played for fun. I think it's the moment. My moment. Time for my fear. Alice knew the game was for keeps. Everybody's walking around. Listen, I want to see you tonight. I'd like to talk to you. It's about this game. I know we said we'd be careful, but I don't think anybody will be on the top deck. What's the game? Well, the idea is to discover everybody's secret. Without peeking, of course, and to prevent the other players from discovering yours. And how would you do that? Well, every day we'll park in a different port where you can discover the proof of one person's secret. I'll announce what secret it is to look for and give you a clue which will tell you what to do and where to go on shore. Now, if you solve the clue properly, it'll lead you to where the proof is. Squeeze in closer. Any number can die. Squeeze in closer, you'll be out of the picture. And I don't mean this one. And we're back. During the break, Nikki and I watched the second half of our twisty mystery double feature, The Last of Sheila. Nikki, I am sensing that this conversation might go a little faster <laughs> than our conversation about sleuth. Mm-hmm. Your reaction to it seemed different. Mm-hmm. Uh, how did how did this one work for you? Um, it was fine. <laughs> you know, I I think my tolerance for awful people is just has diminished over time, so I don't necessarily find them enjoyable. And there's no um. There's no sort of audience surrogate that feels sane. So, like, in the Knives Out films, that's whatever, Foghorn, Leghorn. Um, and, <laughs> and But this one is, like, everybody's just terrible. So there's really no one that's the sane, decent person that's in the middle of the chaos. It's just they're all chaos. Well, uh, yeah. No, everybody's yeah. pretty awful. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about this is that the, the sort of the closest thing we have to a to a protagonist, to an audience surrogate character, to the detective character. Is the murderer. <laughs> is, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. turns out to be the murderer. Mm-hmm. And that's James Mason, that's Richard Benjamin's character. And James Mason says that to him at the end. Like, what better detective than the guy that committed the murder? As he's, you know, stumbling through every hesitant speculation about what might have happened, etc. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Well, so let's let's talk about these characters. So we have six six guests. <laughs> yep. And Clinton, James Coburn's millionaire producer, minor league sadist host. <laughs> mm-hmm. So let's let's talk about these characters and anywhere you want to start. Um, I don't. I mean, I wouldn't know. I don't. <laughs> Did you like any of them? <laughs> no, um, not really at all. I enjoyed Swedgen's chest hair. <laughs> this is, okay, we can need. To, we need to translate for people who aren't us. <laughs> Swedgen is short for Swearingen, who is Ian McShane's character on Deadwood. <laughs> Ian McShane plays Anthony, the somewhat violent, not terribly bright husband of Raquel Welch's actress character, mm-hmm. Alice. Like wannabe producers or yeah. dude, yeah, but he has... And I had to tell you that's who that was. Yes, because he's very young here, <laughs> and I'm, I'm only used to saying gravelly, you know, aged Swedgen. Uh, you will be happy to hear... Ian McShane has always been Ian McShane. Uh, Just as he called Game of Thrones nothing but tits and dragons when he did his guest piece on that, he called this movie a big glossy piece of shit. Wow. (laughs) Okay. He's Uh, not bad in this movie, but you would not look at this movie and expect to get... That he's going to be a great actor or something at some point. The Deadwood performance out of this guy. No. But he wears a lot of deep V's, uh-huh. and he has a chest hair and a gold chain. Gold chain. <laughs> and so, for the last few minutes of the movie, I was actually on Etsy looking for vintage gold chains with like medallions. Because like that's a good look. I do. I like. I think it's probably the one good line Raquel Welch gets in this movie. It's after she's made a big confession, and then she says to him, her mm-hmm. husband, "You know, don't look so shocked, Anthony. I'll swipe you some ID bracelets. You'll forget all about it." Yeah. So, but other than that, um, I think. What I said was I sort of, like, sometimes with movies like this, when I don't like anyone, I don't care about anyone, I experience white blindness, which means that it's just a bunch of white people that I don't remember their name. This is what I was counting on happening (laughs) so you wouldn't recognize Michael Caine in the last movie when he was in disguise. No, no. I was counting on your Because I enjoyed both of them, but but this I don't enjoy anyone, and they're all terrible, so it's just a bunch of terrible white people, so I just get white blindness. Um, And I don't remember anybody's name. So... Okay, so we have Tom and Lee. This is Richard Benjamin and Joan Hackett. Now, I, I had to think about, because Joan Hackett is the probably the nicest person in the movie. No, she ran the woman over. <laughs> okay, that's that's where I... And then it. kept driving. I started to say Joan Hackett's the nice one, but then, yes, we find out at the end that she ran somebody over mm-hmm. drunk and never told anyone and mm-hmm. got away with it. Okay, so yes, this is... Tom is a floundering screenwriter. Right, who's basically been doing, like, rewrites for... Rewrites on spaghetti westerns for many years, apparently. Deeply unsatisfied with his career, and and Lee is a wealthy... Yeah, she's just woman who just has money, yeah. but doesn't it doesn't sounds like she doesn't put that money into backing any of his the films he wants to do. No, no, which I actually respect. Okay, and then we have James Mason, who is a director. Mm-hmm. Um, now apparently reduced to directing dog food commercials. <laughs> Uh, I love I I could re- listen to James Mason just read the phone book. I love James Mason, so I, I sort of like that character. Though he turns out to have a few minor character flaws, as they all do. He's a pedophile. <laughs> is that a minor character flaw? <laughs> it's a character flaw that involves minors. It is not a minor character flaw. He's just a little child molester. <laughs> Isn't that weird wording? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk. We'll talk about the sins later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and who else? 
Uh, Christine. Evans, yes. Christine, who she's the most fun. If that's what you want to call that, sure. <laughs> I would find her the most insufferable. I actually was hoping that that scene where she gets sucked into the boat jet that she was going to die. Oh, and she did. You wanted Christine to I was get like, oh, this is going to be the end propeller. of that one. No, she's so loud and obnoxious. Yes. <laughs> and is apparently fucking was part of the damn Red Scare. So, like, fuck you, dude. Yeah, she, she dropped a few names to the House on American Activities <laughs> Committee, as it turns out. Uh, and then we mentioned Raquel Welch is Alice, is mm-hmm. an actress. Anthony is her husband slash manager. That's Ian McShane. And who am I forgetting? Philip? Did we say Philip? Yeah, you said Philip James Mason. Oh, and I guess Clinton, whatever his name is. Clinton Green? That's right. Okay, Clinton and then James Coburn yeah. is the host. So he's invited them all to his yacht to play games. Mm-hmm. Now you said earlier that that didn't sound like fun, and you wouldn't you you'd be just like, why can't we just go sit on the beach and just you yes know, in the south of France, relax yes. in the south of France, mm-hmm. and not have to run around and play all these games? Pretty much most of these people agree with you. Yes, they are doing this to humor Clinton because Clinton has them all under his thumb. Right, they need everything that he has. They need access. Yeah. Yes. And yes, in in the very opening scene of the movie, we see the character we later learn to be Clinton's wife, Sheila, Mm -hmm. bounce through the hedges, as Christine very sympathetically says later. Yeah. So, yes. So Clinton is is a widower. Mm -hmm. A very sad. Well, he's not too sad sad, about it. Sad widower. Not sad about it at all. Uh, But yeah, so he's invited them here to play this game. And he's also invited them to announce that he's making a movie about his late wife. To be called The Last of Sheila. Yeah. And they are all invited to participate in it, depending on their success in the game mm-hmm. that he's playing. This murder game, which, again, sounds very much like the game Stephen Sondheim played with his friends, where he's scattered clues all over the French Riviera. They're going to pull into a different port every day, play the game, everybody searches for the clue, etc. Yeah. None of that sounds like fun to you. Not at all. Going See, to the south I think of France sounds, great. sounds wonderful, and then you can just drop me off, and I'll stay here and eat and drink and just sort of hang out and let me know when the game is over. I, see, I want to play the game. It's a good game. You want to play this game? Well, yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. I, in fact, I am disappointed when it gets to the point in this movie where we stop playing the game because I wanted to see Clinton had four more stops mm-hmm. on this tour plan that we don't get to see because he is inconveniently murdered. On the second night of the game. Yeah. I'm not interested <laughs> at all remotely. So were you were you intrigued by any of it? Uh was I intrigued by any of it? I mean I thought the I thought the setup was interesting. Okay. The idea of like he's handing out these cards that represent some terrible thing that each of them have done, but they don't have their own card, they have someone right. else's card. Right. The game as it turns out is he's taken six secrets mm-hmm. and handed them out to each of the players in the game, and the whole game is to discover the other players' secrets. Right. Now, they figure out, some of the characters figure out fairly quickly that he's taken real secrets Mm -hmm. and just shuffled them up and handed them to to different people. Yes. So the the secrets are shoplifter, Mm -hmm. homosexual, Mm -hmm. informer, ex-convict, little child molester, and... Originally alcoholic. (laughs) Yeah, nobody should be listening to this who hasn't seen the movie. Right. Mm-hmm. Originally alcoholic, and to be play fair, we do see the alcoholic card. Yes. 
in the in the scene where he hands them out, we see the alcoholic card. Yes. And then later in the movie, that card seems to have vanished, and the card now is hit and run killer. Mm-hmm. And there's all these little intrigues going on among the characters. Christine and Clinton are sleeping together. Yeah. Uh, somebody is having an affair with Raquel Welch. Mm-hmm. We get a very creepy scene where she's talking POV to the camera. And she gets very close. She gets very close. And- <laughs> Yeah. I think that scene is supposed to be hot. It's it's not it's hot. Not. It's not hot. Um, the best thing I can say about Raquel Welch is she's very attractive. I mean, she was not the strongest actor in the ensemble. Yeah, <laughs> no. Um, and reportedly, she was a pain in the ass to work with too. She was. Um, there's a lot of diva. In fact, if you listen to the commentary track on the DVD, which I'm sure you want to do, no, it's. It's one of those ones where Diane Cannon and Richard Benjamin are together watching the movie, doing their commentary, having a grand old time. And then Raquel Welch is also on there, but she's alone. You can hear them sort of like drop her. She's she's not in the room with the other two having she a good old time. She was filmed separately. Yeah. Yeah. So we get the first night of the game, which is the only actual night of the game where everything goes according to plan. They are looking for the shoplifter and mm-hmm. just running around this town in the French Riviera looking for clues. Yeah. That didn't look like fun to you. It did, what what was fun about it? Raquel Welch was the smartest. She like sat down in a cafe and was like, "Yeah, good luck." <laughs> I'm gonna sit here and get drunk. She's gonna just hang out here. <laughs> and part of that may have been that she knew that that was her card, and so right that, in real life she was the shoplifter. She was a shoplifter. So she was yes. not excited about about but playing. This that's game. what I would have done. Is just like, okay, I'm gonna hang here in this cafe. <laughs> good luck. You, you don't have anything to say about the game playing. <laughs> it was elaborate. He obviously went through a lot of trouble to set all those things up. A lot he got of like money. eighteen carat silver keys made. All these like it's just, okay, sure. And then there was a whole setup with a phony dead body in a hotel room and riddles and closed circuit closed, TV. Like, a lot of time. <laughs> so again, I say, don't you have enough to do? Yeah. So no, I mean, sure, it looked elaborate. <laughs> See, I think I first saw this movie as a kid, and I think I said this earlier. I, I like I like this image of adulthood. That adulthood is just you just run around with your witty friends and you play stupid, vaguely sadistic games, and mm-hmm. that sounded like fun to me. Is that what adulthood has proven to be for you? It, it, it has not no. exactly been that. No. I don't think it's too late though. I you know why? Because you, you got to go to work in the morning. If if we had more money, I think you and I could. That's be what I'm that saying. Couple. Like no, that, like you can't. That isn't. You can't do that and have a real life. <laughs> you got to go get groceries. They, they don't even, I mean, I don't know, Clinton, is he still making movies? Like, doesn't he have a movie to work on or anything? He's a producer, but he apparently puts a lot of time into into this sort of thing. Okay, so I think it's I think it's the day after the first, the first night of the game that we have this little accident aboard the yacht that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. So Christine is on a thing in the river. Is it a river? Ocean? See, <laughs> I think it's probably the Mediterranean. <laughs> She's in the Mediterranean, floating on a thing, uh, being loud and obnoxious as usual. Clinton is also in the water, Clinton swimming is also around, in the water. saying just one mean thing. Yeah, he's bored and he just starts yelling out mean things to everybody on the yacht, just yeah. trying to get somebody's goat. Uh, so someone we don't know who turns on the jets to the, the engines, the engines to the yacht, and it starts to sort of suck her under. She's unfortunately saved and brought back <laughs> on board where she 
just starts to like freak out and be weird about it. Um, she's a little hysterical. She's it's a near death experience. Sure. Like I said, unfortunately, <laughs> I can't believe you didn't didn't appreciate Diane Cannon in this movie at all. Uh, so yeah, but nobody. We later find out that it was uh, Philip. Philip that was just like <laughs> yeah. he was aiming for Clinton, right? But got Christine. not very carefully. Not very carefully at all. Or he just, just didn't like, care if yeah, Christine I mean, also so, got again chopped up into chum. These are all terrible people. <laughs> right. So that who are very cavalier about murder in a way that I'm just like, okay, oh yeah, like, no, we the, just, we're just the murdering. value of life to these is almost yeah. non-existent. Yeah. It's like when somebody dies, they just move on very quickly. Yes. Or, you know. So in fact, when they, when they come across Clinton's body, the first thing Philip says is apparently there is a God. Yeah. So <laughs> it's not, a, this is just not a good group of people, man. Okay. Then it's, it's the second night of the game where everything kind of goes off the rails. Mm-hmm. They're in this old, monastery Mm -hmm. again this looks like so much fun to me again he's like got them wearing the robes and he has fucking boom boxes set up all over the (laughs) monastery playing gregarian gregorian Gregorian chants chants. whatever the fuck like it's just (laughs) is this a historical site can you even be in here doing this it's just it's exhausting to me i'm just like okay (laughs) you got something better to do so many things with that much money. So many things are and just and if you just want to like just tell them you're a fucking alcoholic and you killed my wife. Like have the conversation. Hey, I know that you dimed out Lucille Ball. You fucking dick. Like just you know have the conversation. Where's where's the fun in that? It's I would respect it more. You fuck, then you wouldn't have to do little children toucher. You could just say you're a fucking pedophile and you still somehow are working with children. How how is this happening? So anyway, on the second night of the game, Clinton ends up murdered. Mm-hmm. And then so it's it's the next day after that that they all start of start comparing notes and figuring out what was actually happening in the game. Figuring out that, oh, Clinton. And again, it's Tom, Richard Benjamin, who's who's figured this all out mm-hmm. and is saying, you know, I think, I think the game was more than a game. I think Clinton was, you know, trying to settle some scores. He gave us all each other's secrets. And then there's this, what Christine calls a little game of musical chairs, where it's like, claim your secret. Because one of them is hit and run killer. And the theory Tom is saying is that that's the only person who, who had motive reason, right? to kill Clinton. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the game, Clinton was going to reveal who killed his wife. Yes. Uh, so then they play musical chairs. It's like, okay, everybody claim your card. Yes. Alice, as we already know, is the shoplifter. She mm-hmm. takes the shoplifter card and tells her story about swiping a leopard coat out of a shop. Yeah. Uh, Christine admits to being the informer. Christine admits to dropping names to HUAC. Uh Tom claims the homosexual card, which comes as a shock to both his wife and his mistress. And says that he'd slept with Clinton. And <laughs> he had a little thing with Clinton. Mm-hmm. Swedgen says that he's the ex-con. Right. Anthony says he's the ex-con. Anthony thinks Tom is trying to point towards him being the murderer. Right. But Anthony gets very defensive and says, no, I'm I'm an ex-convict. <laughs> I've done time for, you know, assault. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so now we're just left with... Hit and run killer and little child molester mm-hmm. on the table. Neither of which anyone is terribly eager to claim. No. <laughs> Even though apparently everyone already knows Philip. Yeah, no one was shocked. It's a little child yeah, molester. Yeah, no one was shocked at all. 
And I should say, all of in our initial scenes with these people, we are given the clues. Of who they are. Of who they are. Yeah. Like, this dog food commercial that we see Philip shooting in the first scene is with a bunch of... Kids. Like, one and one little girl ends up sitting on his six lap. Six-year-old girls yeah. in little Just, outfits. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's creepy. And the fact that that is presented as a an equivalent sort of sin <laughs> with being a homosexual or being a shoplifter... Mm-hmm. Uh, is a little, or, or being an alcoholic. That's all. Those are just little sins. Those are just yeah. little peccadilloes. Again, terrible people. These are all. <laughs> I, I think it says more about the times all than anything. People. I mean, you know, this yeah. is, it's like, this is the same generation that thinks Roman Polanski didn't do anything wrong, right? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, not a big deal. He molested a few children. Uh, but yeah, so then finally at this point, Lee has her big confession and she says yeah i was drunk i ran over sheila i'm the hit and run killer and then things get complicated Mm -hmm. do you want to walk through the the sort of mystery here as it the murder of clinton do i so (laughs) every time that we've seen lee prior to this confession she has made a point of mentioning that she's not drinking alcohol right so her, her husband keeps saying, give me a sip of that. And she right. says, oh, it's ginger it's ale. It's just ginger ale. And then all of a sudden, she's drinking, like, whiskey straight <laughs> from a bottle. And he's like, what the hell did happen here? Uh, and so what we find out is that Tom has actually been basically drugging her this entire time to just sort of get her to a point where she would admit that she was the hit and run. And he sort of knew. Well, now you're jumping to the, the, oh, sorry. the reveal at the end. Yes. Oh, you want me to talk about how Clinton died? Okay. Right. So, yes. So, in the monastery, uh, she finds out. So, she, before they go to the monastery, she sees the card that... She gets a peek at... Philip's card. Tom's card. Tom's card that says hit and run. Right. So, she she now she knows the game is... About her and her and murdering Sheila. Right. So, when they're in the monastery, um, this whole time, Clinton has sort of set himself self up in, like, the priest's box. The confessional, confessional. yes. Um, I'm not Catholic. And <laughs> the box that the priest sits in. Um, <laughs> and she goes into the confessional, and she basically says, like, I know what you're doing. I need you to stop. Like, please don't do this. What she doesn't realize is, at this point, Clinton is already No, nope. well, oh. well, I mean, okay, but okay. let's leave that okay. for the moment. She hears someone that she Clinton, thinks Clinton. Clinton. She's talking to Clinton. Clinton is awful to her. Right. Basically saying, I know what you did. I know that you took the car to Vegas after you hit her and that it was dented and blah, 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 blah. And and so she's hysterical, runs out of the confessional box um, and then picks up some sort of like. Big candle. Big candle thing. And sort smashes, of smashes through it through the door of the confessional and Clinton falls out dead. Right. And she thinks that she's killed him. Right. Okay, so this is where I think we can see this movie's influence on, say, Knives Out. Mm -hmm. Because it's got sort of the same structure where it's like we're halfway through the movie and the murder has been revealed. Right. Everything's been laid out. Right. We think we know what happened. I think that piece in particular, Ryan Johnson stole Mm -hmm. from this movie. Mm -hmm. Where we think, okay, well, we've just had a confession from the person who actually killed. So I guess we're done. No, no, not so much. No. So, Lee goes off to, you know, get drunk and sleep it off. Mm-hmm. Turns out she has, quote unquote, killed herself. Yeah. We discover the next morning she's in Clinton's bathtub having slit her wrists, mm-hmm. supposedly. 
Again, nobody seems terribly to care about this. No. They're all very No one's like, oh, we should probably go home now. No, no, they're all like, okay, we're going into town. We're going to go party. Yeah. Uh, Raquel Welch comes up to Tom, the widow now, Mm -hmm. and says, you know, oh, I'm sorry about Lee. And he says, yeah, you doing anything later? (laughs) So not, not good people. No. And then actually her response there is interesting. Oh, yes. She's (laughs) not interested in him when he's not married. Yes. That's an important thing to figure out when you're having an affair. Uh-huh. If the person's only into you because they're into like the secrecy and the fact that it's a taboo right. and they're transgressing, transgressing maybe, against maybe the marriage. Maybe don't break right. up your marriage. Definitely don't murder, your, murder wife. your wife without finding out whether your hot mistress is going to be turned off yeah. Yeah. by She's your like, being I'm not single. so into you just being single, which, fair. She actually says, if you get married again, give me give a call. Me a call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is just the beginning of Tom not getting anything he actually wanted out of this entire no. entire experience. Okay, so yeah, everybody basically goes off into town and party, uh, except Philip is alone on the boat, still mm-hmm. trying to figure out something about all of this is bothered. Now Philip becomes the detective, right? Tom has been the detective all along. Now Philip is is taking the reins there. Yes. So when they found Clinton's body, there were a few things. There was like a boulder on top of him. That looked, it, it was sort of staged to look like something had fallen down on him. Right. But the blood was coming from the back of his head. What is that? Quit it. <laughs> um, there was also a cigarette butt on the scene, but it was burned in a really weird way right. where there was still yeah. sort of this. And Clinton himself didn't smoke cigarettes. Right. Uh, so Philip Though was. everyone else does. Don't you miss the days when everybody smoked? No. Every single person in this movie smokes. No. I love the fact that I don't have to. Constantly breathing i was like i really miss smoking no. watching this movie no <laughs> going into restaurants and like choking off of other people's yeah, cigarette smoke no yeah. no smelling like smoke even though you don't yourself smoking smoke. on airplanes it's it was just, awesome no it wasn't really wasn't <laughs> anyway sorry carry mm-hmm. on uh so yeah so philip's sort of mulling over these clues um in addition to the photo that clinton took the first day that they got to the yacht and so that day clinton was very specific about where people stood in the photo and was lining them up perfectly against the name of the boat which we all know is sheila now and so he has that he has a cigarette butt he has you know the knowledge about where the blood was coming from on clinton's body and the boulder looking like it was totally out of place like it was placed there and it didn't fall there just because of the way that it was sort of done and then he realizes that the card the hit and run card was in pristine shape so when Tom initially got his card, which was the alcoholic card. <laughs> he crumpled he it up. He crumpled it up. The hit and run card was not crumpled. Totally it was smooth. totally smooth. So he was like, okay, well, that's weird. So he and Philip and Tom start to do this little like cat and mouse, like I know what you know and you know what I know sort of thing where they're playing detective with each other when both of them know at this point that it's Tom. Right. Tom is still trying to pretend yeah. like he and Philip are working this mystery together and maybe Anthony's the right. killer or something. But else no, it's, it's clearly Tom. Um, but yes, what, what Philip has figured out that Tom had missed was that the cards all spelled Sheila. Mm-hmm. So shoplifter, homosexual, ex-convict, informer. Little. Li- that's that right. <laughs> Philip says, what's the little? As opposed to what? Big child molester? Mm-hmm. He needed the little to give him the L. Mm-hmm. And then alcoholic. And this is where the title of the movie is itself a clue. The mm-hmm. last of Sheila should be an A for alcoholic, not H, H for hit and run. For hit and run killer. So what had happened was Tom had switched the cards mm-hmm. 
to give Lee an apparent motive for killing Clinton. Yes. So, okay, so now tell me what really happened with the murder of Clinton. Okay, so by the time Lee gets to the confessional box, Clinton is already dead because Tom had been there. He was the one that smoked the cigarette and sort of threw it into the confessional box, and then he stabbed Clinton in the back of the head with, like, an ice pick. Right. And then proceeded to, like, (laughs) mime and, like, puppet him (laughs) throughout the rest of the night. for, like, three different people who came visiting the priest box during the game, he impersonated Clinton, operating him like a puppet. Mm -hmm. Very weird. Did you buy this explanation? I mean, I I didn't. And (laughs) clearly these are people who don't give a shit about each other, because I would hope you would be able to tell, like, that doesn't sound like him. He looks weird. Something's (laughs) gone very wrong here, but again. Although, again, the movie plays fairly with you. Yes. In those scenes, we get, like, weird And then Clinton is dead. Yes. Did you notice that? I didn't. See, I didn't either the first viewing. Yeah. Like, when he's impersonating Clinton and we we get these shots of just Clinton's eyes and he does look dead mm-hmm. now that when you go back and watch it a second time. Yeah. But he gets away with it. It's clever. Yeah. It's movie clever. It's sure. not real life clever because sure. I have questions about whether any of this would work. So he stages the whole thing for Lee um, to confess. And then when she goes in the room and is like, I'm just going to go, you know, go to sleep and try to calm down again with a bottle of whiskey <laughs> that he's been pouring pills into. <laughs> She's basically unconscious at this point. He picks her up, takes her to Clinton's tub, fills it with water, and then proceeds to slit her wrist. Yes. So he's now murdered two people. Yes. Clinton, because he just sort of didn't like him. Which I is... mean, I, you asked after we watched this, so why did he kill Clinton? Right. And I had to admit that I've probably seen this movie a dozen times, and I had never really thought about that. He just sort of didn't like him. If, you, if the goal was to get rid of his wealthy wife mm-hmm. so he could... Get her money and you know, didn't need keep to kill fucking Clinton. Raquel Welch. Yeah. There was no need to kill no. Clinton. <laughs> just like, I don't like him. <laughs> so again. And, uh, and there must have been way less convoluted ways yes. to kill Lee yeah. and get away with it. Yeah. And in fact, I don't even know what the, uh, I mean, was the plan always to fake Lee's suicide? I don't know. I don't know what the plan was. I don't know if he thought of it once they got on the boat and figured out what was going on. I don't know. None of it. Because if Lee had not snapped and mm-hmm. he wouldn't have had, hit him yeah. with hit dead Clinton right. with the thing, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have worked. At best, she would have been accused of the murder, mm-hmm. and she would have said, "No, I didn't do it." Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not. It's it's unclear it's how messy. this was originally supposed to play out. The point is, he kills his wife because she has five. She's worth like five million dollars, and he's going to get the five million dollars, which is. <laughs> Like, it's a lot of money. It's not enough money to kill someone, but okay. In 73, it's, that was more money. I guess, money. sure, still. Um, <laughs> what amount of money is enough to kill two people and I mean, you got to think about the jail time, out. right? Like, so is $5 million worth jail time? Uh, Significant jail time, okay. potentially? No. At least $75 million. Well, as it turns out, he doesn't go to jail. Well, except spiritually. Spiritually, yeah. <laughs> so, Philip figures it all out. Tom is like, okay, he's figured it out, so now I gotta kill this bitch too. <laughs> they like 
awkwardly tussle for like 20 <laughs> fucking minutes trying to kill each other and Tom has found the puppets he's, that yeah. Anthony had for some Creepy weird clown reason puppets. and so he's trying to strangle Philip. He's like I don't have any gloves so he's wearing the puppets. The puppets and so it's like you're strangling a child molester with children's toys. It's a weird <laughs> vibe. Psychosexual thing going on. Um, and then what they don't realize is that Christine is still on the boat fucking somebody that worked on the boat. <laughs> And she's like, hey, what, what's going on? Why is right. it so she's noisy? She's overheard all of this, yeah. as it turns out. And so she basically now knows that Tom's whole plot and the whole thing. And so that allows Philip the opportunity to collect himself and basically say, yeah, we just were having a disagreement. But now we've all agreed that I'm going to do this movie and Tom is going to write it. Actually, no. <laughs> I'll write it and you'll do... Philip says, I'm keen to have someone else come yeah. in and... and- have an outsider's view on our little But you can do the rewrites, circle. Tom, which is but the thing Tom he's been to do hating rewrites. his entire life. <laughs> and then he's like, it'll be about $5 million. So the $5 million he thought he was going to get from killing his wife will now go into whatever stupid-ass movie we're about to make now. And Christine is thinking about, oh, this per- I could put my actress in it and yeah, blah, blah, blah. Now, now Christine is starting to yeah. cast this movie. Yes. Which is, a, it's one of those little meta things because all of these people are, you know, basically versions of Stephen Sondheim's mm-hmm. famous friends, and now we're getting, you know, Christine says, oh, how about Paul and Joanne mm-hmm. for Tom and Lee, you know, that kind of thing. So, Yule yes. Brenner as Clinton, you would have watched that movie. You I would have watched Brenner. that movie. I do love you. Um, and yeah, Tom is just sitting there seething because now he's, he's done got all nothing. of this. Got nothing. He lost Raquel Welch. He lost the $5 million. Lost he's back wife, doing, lost his not going to jail, but he's going to be doing rewrites. Rewrites for the rest of his life. <laughs> and then we get one of the greatest needle drops. It's a good one. In movie history. Probably the best part of the movie for me. <laughs> Bette Midler's. Friends. Friends. <laughs> over the final credits. Yeah. You got to have Friends. <laughs> I think this movie is so fun. You did not seem to have as much. Fun it was. With it. it was fine. I just. Yeah. I. I. I used to have more tolerance for terrible people, and I. It's just. I don't know what happened. See, I'm. I think that's true of me too. Like, mm-hmm. I don't generally like movies with that where there's just like nobody who's remotely likable. Mm-hmm. I just. I'm too old for that yeah. at this point. But maybe I got this one early enough, or maybe they're just amusingly awful sure. enough for me. Sure. I, I like the bitchiness of this movie. Yeah. Um, and the, the dialogue is pretty good and mm-hmm. pretty bitchy and pretty mm-hmm. acerbic. Um, and I enjoy that more than I should, probably. Meh. You know. I like Clinton saying things like... <laughs> He, he asks somebody a question, and then he says, no, no, stop. We don't want this topic to degenerate into the discussion phase. Mm-hmm. Stuff like that I enjoy very much. Yeah, I just find him a dick. <laughs> but he's a great dick. I mean, okay. I like his little island speech, too. He talks about buying an island. And... No? All right. Nope. <laughs> Didn't do it for me. Sorry. Didn't do it for you. All right. Did you did you have any favorite scenes in this movie? I mean, that last scene was good when when you know Bette Midler's song kicked in and he's just sitting there just dejected on the sofa. That was good. That was your favorite. So the end was your favorite part. It's one of those movies where you, the fact that it ended it ended was your favorite part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, I was like. Absolutely, I think it was smart. It was a very smart movie. There were lots of twists and turns, and to have everything sort of in front of you to figure out if you knew what you were looking at 
Did you still, notice? Did you figure any? I mean, no, like I, I don't think it's possible to like no for anyone to figure out the actual solution and no. what exactly happened. But did you notice any of the clues? Did no, you... so like not noticing the photo and okay. the fact that they were all standing under certain things. I I didn't even remember that Tom had crumpled up his paper, and so now the fact that it wasn't crumpled was a big. I didn't sign. remember that on first viewing either. I did, however, notice the alcoholic card had mm-hmm. gone because I was sure that we'd seen an alcoholic card, and then when they lay all the cards out, yeah. I was like, wait, there was another card. But I didn't figure out what that yeah, meant. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe Benoit Blanc could have figured that out. So, yeah. No, I think it's... It, I thought it was smart. It's well written. Um, I just don't like any of these people. Which is the point, but... <laughs> you didn't enjoy disliking I them I didn't quite enjoy enough. disliking them, no. For not that many of them to die, yeah, like, they would all have needed to die <laughs> for me to be like, okay. <laughs> I mean... Two, two of them die. Two that's of them, but like, that's not, no. You still odds. left Christine. Like, you had Christine. <laughs> you let Christine get away. <laughs> Anything else to say about the last of Sheila? Nope. Want to go on a yacht trip? No, I don't. I'd lo- I will go to the south of France if you wanted to, but just to, you know, be in the south of France, that would be nice. I'll see what I can arrange. Thank That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again in two weeks for the next episode of The Unenthusiastic Critic. Nakia, though we've frequently strayed from it, the original mission statement for The Unenthusiastic Critic was very simple. To get you to watch movies that everyone else on the planet had already seen. And frankly, I thought we were just about out of movies that literally everyone else on the planet except you had seen. Uh, But a few weeks ago, you made the critical error of letting slip that you had never actually watched the third highest grossing movie of all time and a movie that is also tied for the most Academy Awards of all time. I am referring, of course, to James Cameron's Titanic, which is also celebrating its 25th anniversary in a few weeks. Uh, (laughs) Now, I admit Titanic is not a favorite of mine. I saw it exactly once in theaters when it first came out and never felt the need or desire to go back and watch it again. Mm -hmm. But like I said, it's the 25th anniversary and you have never seen it at all, so this this did seem like the perfect time. But I feel like I've seen the, like, relevant parts. I don't need to (laughs) see this movie. (laughs) So you know what happened, you know? You know the boat sinks? I know the boat sinks. So you don't need to see the movie? I don't need to see the movie. I know that she's on a fucking door that they both could have fit on, but <laughs> she lets him just, like, fall into the ocean. So what What more is there really to say? Then you got the Dion, the Celine Dion song, and you got the fucking diamond at the bottom of the sea. <laughs> there's really nothing else. I guess we'll find out if there's anything else to say about it. The good news is it's only, like, four hours long. Yeah, so, you know, it's no, not... This is awful. <laughs> just sink the boat. <laughs> We don't need four hours of that. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, where you can download earlier episodes, leave us a comment, or make a donation to support the show. You can also sign up for our email list to be notified when new posts and episodes drop. Until next time, remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. How would you murder me? It wouldn't be that elaborate. Well, I would like it to be. I don't have the time. If you're, if you're going, or the money. If you're going to, you know, murder me, I would like you to at least put some thought and effort into it. No, it'll be one of those like murders of passion thing where, um, 
You have this thing where your jaw clicks when you eat. <laughs> I'm going to end up stabbing you with a fork. That's how it's going to happen. You understand there's nothing I can do about that, it's right? Go- no, I know. Mm-hmm. I am aware. Okay. And yet, that like that would be the that would be how okay. you would die. Is it would be So it's not going to be an elaborate No. murder plot. No. In the south of France with games and No, I mean I may and- get try to be smart about like disposing of the body so that I don't get caught. Um, so I would need to figure that out of like, okay, do I just put you in like acid or do I? I mean, that's the kind of thing you probably want to figure out before you blend just you. Snap well, nobody's really looking for you, so I have fork. time um, to sort of figure it out. It's just a matter of like, how long do I want a dead body in the house? Yeah, um, especially in winter, you got the windows closed. The, but we have a on. very bitey cat, so <laughs> that could help a little bit. Yeah, so it would be it would be more about the disposal than the actual method of the kill. Good luck with that. <laughs>